If you will, turn in the Scriptures to 2 Peter. 2 Peter. I preached Sunday night uh, from 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 1-4 through in what I called Peter's encouragement. Um, I mentioned this Sunday night, but the, the purpose of Peter's second letter is found in chapter 3, verse 1. I'll read this. It says, This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us the apostles of the Lord and Savior. And then he would end the letter in chapter 3, verse 18, by saying, But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Peter's purpose for this epistle is to stir up the believers. Well, if we need to be stirred up, it would stand to reason that maybe there was some some deadness going on. Maybe there was some stagnant uh, apathy going on. And um, if we're honest with ourselves, we get stagnant in our Christian life, do we not? Some of us today are stagnant right now. And we need to be stirred up. I use the example of Sister Leanne's pool. And we would get bored when we were swimming over there sometimes. And the water would just be dead. And so we said, let's make waves. And so we get the swim noodles and do this and make waves. And we'd be able to ride the waves for like three or four minutes on that pool. We had to stir up those waters. Well, this letter is being written by a man who most likely is in prison right now under Nero's... um, tyrant, uh, his torrential reign. Um, this is a man who knows that he is about to die. Matter of fact, he would say in chapter 1, verse 14, he would say, knowing that shortly I must put off this my tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ hath showed me. Moreover, I will endeavor that you may be able after my decease to have these things always in remembrance. Jesus showed Peter in John 21 how he was to die. And that was the same death that Jesus died by crucifixion. And again, I mentioned this Sunday night. Uh, it is, it is uh, not in Scripture, but history strongly suggests that Peter, when it came time to die a martyr's death for Christ, refused to be crucified the same way his Savior was because he didn't count himself worthy. And so he chose rather to be crucified upside down. So this is a man who... Uh, he just he has probably only a year or two left after this letter is written. And so he starts off, the first four ver- verses, he starts off with stirring up the believers' minds with the precious promises that they have in Jesus Christ. That's what I tried to express Sunday night. That um, He says, um, well, let me read. Let me read the first, first, uh, first four verses. Simon Peter a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption 
that is in the world through lust. And so Peter starts off this letter by encouraging the believers that if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are a recipient of the precious gift of faith. A gift that you could never earn or even desire on your own because you and I are born into sin. And not only are we born into sin, but we learn from Romans chapter 3 that we don't even, even if we would, we, we, even if we could, we don't even desire the things of God. 1 Corinthians would tell us because the things of God are foolishness to us in our natural minds, in our natural selves. And so if you have been given the gift of faith, that is the gift to see Jesus Christ as excellent. To see Christ as excellent. Then praise God and rejoice. And again, that gift is only purchased. How, how do we get that gift? It is through the righteousness of Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus who bore the heavy burden for you. God who spared not His own Son for you, believer in Jesus Christ. Jesus willingly willingly took on your sins. He willingly bore the cross. He willingly uh, endured the scourging. He willingly endured the crucifixion, the mental, the physical anguish, the mocking, the revilings. He willingly did that. Purchase your gift of faith. But then He doesn't just leave us there. He equips us for everything we need. It says, according in verse 3, according as His divine power have given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of Him that have called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature. You have been given everything you need, believer in Jesus Christ, to live for Him. We were exhorted earlier that it is God's will for us to know Him. To know Him. It is God's will for us, little children, keep yourselves from idols, we were exhorted. And so, this next section, verses 5, I'll read again 5 through 11, but I'll just mainly focus on verses 5 through 7. Sunday night was Peter's encouragement, and I'll just call this message Peter's exhortation. Peter's exhortation. Verse 5. And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So, I want you to picture this gift of faith. I mentioned this Sunday night. Picture this gift of faith as a beautiful mansion. Of just, a, a, just a gorgeous home that probably, well, a, a glorified LRK probably designed this home. 
It's just a beautiful, beautiful, beyond your wildest dreams, this home that you have been given. It's a free gift, nothing you did, no money that you could ever have in that bank account could buy this house. This is a free gift that you have been given. And so I want you to picture these graces that we've just read and that we're going to go over today, these, uh, the, this virtue and knowledge and temperance and patience and godliness. This is the furnishings that you're going to furnish this house with. This is what you're going to furnish. This is what we are to furnish this gift of faith that we've been given with. And so that's what we are called to do. And so I want us to notice, he says it at least, I believe at least three times in this letter, maybe more, but he mentions this phrase in verse 5, giving all diligence. You could say, make every effort. You could say, exhaust yourself. Brothers and sisters, it takes work to serve the Lord, to furnish this gift that we have been given. All you have to do is read Proverbs and you know that God does not tolerate laziness. And God especially does not tolerate lazy Christians. So if, if we say that we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, if we say that we are recipients of this precious gift of faith, then we are to be workers. We are to be giving all diligence. It takes spiritual sweat to serve the Lord as we are, all, as we are uh, to do. And again, I want you to notice the, the, uh, the urgency in Peter. He is a man that does not have much time left. So there's not time to waste. It's time to give all diligence. It's time to stir you up. He's about to die. He has a year or two left. And this is his last, you could say his last will and testament. You know, Paul would tell the Philippian saints to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Of course, we can only work out what God has worked, already worked in us. He would go on to say that in Philippians 2. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God that worketh in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. But we are called to work. We are called to seek after God diligently. Hebrews would say He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. And so that's what we are called to do. And so... What are we, what are the saints that Peter is writing to? And, and, and if you're a saint of God, you are one of the saints that Peter is writing to, the Holy Spirit through Peter. We are called to furnish this gift of faith, first off, with virtue. He says, add to your faith or furnish your faith with virtue. And really, that word virtue is just another way to say moral courage. Christian, you are called to live a life of courage to live a life of moral courage and valor. The saints to who Peter is writing to right now are undergoing persecution. And at this time, and it may sound very similar at times to 2023, but at this time, many of the Christians were basically, if they professed faith in Jesus Christ and people knew about it, in their towns, in their communities, they were basically put on a marked list. And so if they were ever to look for a job, they already had a, they already had a mark that, nope, he's a follower of the way. He is a follower of Jesus. Don't hire him. And so it's easy to say, yes, furnish your faith with courage. Have courage. You are called to courage. But what about, what about 
if you may not be able to, you don't know how you're going to put food on your family's table every single day because you profess faith in Jesus Christ. This is what was going on in this letter. You know, I was reading recently with my children the story that we all know and love of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel chapter 3. You remember, these boys were there uh, in Babylon, not, not because they wanted to be there, but they were there. And you remember that Nebuchadnezzar built or had built this elaborate golden image, this elaborate idol, this elaborate image, what I'm sure it was absolutely amazing. And the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, decreed that whenever the music plays, you are to bow down before this image. Just imagine. I don't know how many people were out there outside of this time, but hundreds, maybe thousands of people. Think of what a fearful scene that would have been for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I don't want to stick out like a sore thumb. I like to be liked. If, if I can, I want to blend in if I can. I don't want to stick out and have people look at me, much, much less uh, you know, have the possibility of being burned into a, put into a fiery furnace and burned. And so you remember the first time the music plays, the shrine goes up, and heads go down one after another except for three young boys. They stand up. Well, Nebuchadnezzar finds out, and he is livid. He is angry. Who are you? Who is your God? To not listen to what I say, I'm King Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar probably thought at this time, with so much probably drunk on power, he probably thought that he was God. And I love their, uh, their response to him. This is what they say. In Daniel chapter 3, verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. Meaning, we don't have to pray about this because we already know, we already know what to do. It's, it is set in stone. We cannot bow down. We bow down to God rather than man. We don't even have to spend a lot of time and think about this. We know the answer to this, O king. Verse 17, if it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and He will deliver us out of thine hand, O King. I love this, though, in verse 18. But if not, but if He, do, if he chooses not to deliver us, at least physically, be it known unto thee, O King, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. So regardless, we know God's going to deliver us one way or the other. They had confidence that did not come in themselves. It's a confidence that, that can only come divinely from the Lord. But they didn't have to think about it. We're not careful to answer thee in this matter. We know the answer. And our God will deliver us. But if He chooses not to in this way, we're still not going to bow down. We're still not going to serve your image because we are servants of Jehovah, the one true and living triune God. And of course, you know what happens. He turns up the heat seven times more than it was supposed to go, and even the guards that threw him in died from the heat. But remember, when they were the three boys were put in there, there was a fourth. I believe it was a pre-incarnate Jesus Christ that was in there with them. 
and He delivered them. And not only did they not get burned, they didn't even smell like smoke. But what if God had chosen to let them burn to death? Would they have still been right to do what they have done? Of course. Of course. And that's what we are called to do, brothers and sisters. We are called to courage. Proverbs would say, Solomon would say in Proverbs, a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. You know, we could lose our reputation with the world by having to stand up, by maybe in today's terms, by choosing when everybody else does at work or at school by not wearing the rainbow sticker. When everybody else is doing it. Maybe... Kids, it's, it's being willing to maybe be ostracized a little bit because you will not laugh at the filth that maybe some of uh, others your age may laugh at or watch or look at. It may be willing, they may be mean to be willing to be an oddball. Not that we just want to be an oddball and just stick out and, and, and be weird, but listen. We are called to take a stand. We are called to live with godly courage. And that that may mean that we are ostracized. These saints certainly were to whom Peter is writing. And you know what I love? You know, we remember the story of Peter, right? Peter the denier. Peter denied Jesus Christ. When it came time to have courage, Peter failed in this instant. Yet... He repented. God forgave him. And so he could, as Brother Zach would say, get back on the firing line and tell others to have godly courage, to have godly virtue. I want, and I want to actually close, I want to say this again at the end, but I want you to remember that, brothers and sisters in Christ, because you failed in this area and I have failed in this area. And so we could say, because Satan is a deceiver, he loves to pounce on us when we're down. So he would love to say, You're done. You're a phony. Don't even give me that courage business. But no, God forgives. God gives second chances. So repent and get back right with the Lord. So he says, okay, I will not spend that much time on the rest of these graces. Sorry. Um, He says to, so furnish this house of faith. Furnish this gift that we have been given with courage, with virtue, and to virtue knowledge. And this knowledge really, this, this, uh, this is the engine, as somebody said, this is the engine that drives all these fruits, all these graces. It is this knowledge. It is knowing God. Yes, it is knowing Christ mentally, but it is a knowledge that transforms our life. It informs every aspect of our life, every decision we make. The hymn that I love so well, um, Have Thine Own Way, Lord, Have Thine Own Way. The, the last verse, it says, Hold o'er my being absolute sway. This is the knowledge we're talking about. This knowledge that has absolute sway over every aspect of our lives. And so this is a rightly informed courage and temperance. Because, listen, think about this. There are a lot of people who have, have had courage through the years, but it has been misinformed. I mean, it, it takes some type of courage to fly planes into buildings and to, to, to kill yourself, that takes some type of courage, but it is all completely misinformed and completely perverted courage. And so the courage we're talking about 
is informed by knowledge. This is a knowledge that transforms. This is a knowledge of knowing Jesus Christ, knowing the Lord. How do we know Him? We commune with Him. How do I, how do I, how did I get to, to, how do I know that I love my wife? I spend time with her. How do I know that, that Roy Beachant's one of my best friends? Well, we, we spend time together. We talk. I know that sounds maybe very simplistic, but we have to be knowing Christ on a daily basis in an especially, in a special way on a weekly basis under the sound of the gospel, communing with him, knowing him in a relational way, not just in a, not in a dry way, but in a relational way, in a transforming way. So, furnish this gift with virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge temperance. Temperance, self-control. Man, that's a difficult one, isn't it? They're all difficult because we're sinners. Self-control. This word literally means to hold oneself in. To hold oneself in. This is somebody who has it. We have a hold over our desires and our passions. Think of an athlete when he's training, maybe for an event, maybe an Olympic event or, or uh, whatever sport that that athlete goes, or it could be a musician or, or whatever it is. You have to train yourself to, maybe as an athlete, you have to say no to certain foods. Or a musician, you, you have to um, spend time on that cello even when you're sick of it. Right, Jeb? <laughs> what does Paul say in 1 Corinthians Chapter 9, verse 24. He is likening this, this, uh, this self-denial, this self-control, this, this temperance. He's likening it to a runner, to, a, to an Olympic runner. He says in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 9, verse 24, he says, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize, so run that ye may obtain. And every man, listen, and every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. He holds himself in. He has self-control in all things. Now they do it, talking about the, the runner, the, the athlete, they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainty, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep my body and bring it into subjection. I'm subduing my body. I'm subduing my passions. Lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. This is, brothers and sisters, this is the opposite of self-gratification. This temperance, this self-control. This would have been especially relevant in the times that Peter is writing to because there was a a, uh, a heresy that was very prevalent in this time, and it's called antinomianism. And antinomianism basically um, it basically abuses salvation by grace. It says that, well, since I'm saved by grace, there's nothing I had to do with my salvation at all, which we say amen to, amen and amen to. It gives me license to live any way I want to live. So I, it, it abuses grace. You see that? But that is not the way that grace is taught in Scripture, is it? Should I sin that grace may abound? What's the word? God forbid! And so what he is saying here, Peter is saying, because you can imagine these people are, are probably, especially they're being persecuted, they're losing out on jobs, they're having trouble putting food on the table. Maybe, hey, yeah, maybe, maybe I can just, just give in. 
But Peter refutes this. A saved person who has had a work of a divine work wrought in his or her heart is going to live differently. Doesn't mean perfectly, but it's going to be a life of that is marked by repentance. Brother Dan Beecham said, I believe it was Brother Dan said that we need to have lives that are marked by repentance, and then we got to re-repent, and then re-repent, and then keep on repenting. Titus 2 says, talking about temperance, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. The reason it's so difficult, the reason that it can be such a struggle and that we do need to repent and re-repent, is because naturally, naturally, in our sinful nature, our natural man, we, our God is our self. We want to gratify self, number one. And so, a life that is marked by um, those who have obtained this like precious faith, this, this um, ability, this spiritual eyes to see Jesus Christ as excellent, Jesus Christ above anything else as excellent, is going to be a life that has to say no to self, that has a hold on our passions. So, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge temperance, and then to temperance, patience. Patience. Perseverance. Endurance. It has the idea of one who is not swayed by the winds of culture. It has the idea of one who is planted like that tree that's planted in Psalm 1, I believe, that's planted by the rivers of water. Because make no mistake, brother and sister in Christ, make no mistake, the winds and the waves come, right? The winds and the waves of culture, the winds and the waves of our life, the winds and the waves of marriage trouble and family trouble and work trouble and financial trouble and health problems. It's going to come, it has come, and it will come. What we are called to is to endure. What we are called to is what Paul exhorts the Corinthians after he ends this beautiful, glorious treatise in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's really a gospel, uh, a whole chapter full of the good news of Jesus Christ that He has risen from the dead, that He is the first fruits of them who slept, that death has been defeated. The last enemy has been defeated. That those who are in Christ can sing a taunt song over death. Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? But then how does he end that? You remember? The very, very last verse, verse 58. Therefore, be ye what? Be ye steadfast. I'm, I'm, st- I'm planting my flag right here. My flag of my banner of Christ. I am planting my flag. Be ye therefore steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Well, I already said this pretty much, but this patience, this endurance, 
is going to often come through trial, through hardship. I was thinking about my Uncle Lewis that we know that just passed away and Brother Zach preached the message regarding that last week. And um, I'd always remember that, that Brother Zach had said that when they lost their mother and then when he had lost a, a serious girlfriend that he began to run from the Lord. And I contrasted that with a testimony of a young sister in Christ at Providence Church there in Mississippi who lost her father to cancer and then I think two weeks later got married. And she wrote a, not an article, but just maybe a testimony. And she titled it, uh, I had to wear a black dress before I could wear my white dress. And she was just, just, you know, she thought, obviously, I'd never thought I would have to do that. But she likened that to what Jesus Christ has done for his children. You know, in a sense, Jesus Christ, we were full of darkness, the blackness and darkness of hell. Jesus Christ put on, as it were, our black dress, our, our darkness, our sins, and in so doing, he put on us the white dress, the white robes of righteousness. But it is only a, a testimony. It's only a life of Jesus Christ working this endurance, this patience. That's the point I was trying to make. This patience that comes through trial that can have a testimony like this. James, our beloved brother James would say, uh, in verse chap- James chapter 1, verse 2, My brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into diverse temptations. Various trials is what he's saying. When you, when you fall into various trials, count it all joy. Not joyful in the trial, of course. Not saying, oh goody, my father just died. Of course not. My brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience, endurance, have her perfect work that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. This patience that comes through trial, this patience that comes through hardship is working to make you more and more like Jesus. More and more a complete and mature saint of God. Lord willing, maybe in the next few months, Brother Isaac and I are hopefully on Wednesday nights going to be uh, going through the seven churches of Asia from Revelation, the first two or first three chapters, I guess chapters two and three, they're in Revelation of the seven churches of Asia and just looking at those churches and seeing what we can glean from those churches. And he always, uh, John, the writer who wrote Revelation under divine inspiration, always begins with, commendation and then condemnation. So he'll, he'll commend them, the seven churches, for what they're doing well, and then he'll condemn them. He'll get on them for what, what they're not doing well, what they need to repent of. Well, there is a constant in every single one of those seven churches, and, and he has to get on them. He has to, he has to, be, uh, he, he has to be hard with them, uh, with many of them. But there is one constant when he is commending them, and that is for their patience. 
their endurance. So that's something that we as a church can learn. That to, to ask God to help me cultivate a heart of patience, of endurance. Now, it's been said that, you know, be careful when you pray, pray for patience because God may just give it to you. So, but, of course, where does this source of endurance come from? This source of patience come from? I want to bring it all back again to the knowledge, knowing cultivating a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ. That's where it's going to come from. If we're not walking closely with the Lord, how are we going to respond when we're on the firing line? It's it's time to show that courage. Or it's time to show that temperance, that self-control. Or when it's time to the, 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 um, the trial and tragedy comes. We're going to fail if we are not cultivating a deep daily relationship, fellowship with our Lord. So, furnish this again, this house, this beautiful house that that we've been given. We are to furnish it, to give all diligence, to make every effort, remember that, make every effort to furnish this gift of faith with virtue, virtue knowledge, knowledge temperance, temperance patience, and to patience, godliness. Godliness. This has the idea of really just having a big view of God. Oh, I fear that we, are, that we have lost this in many ways in our culture, but sometimes in our churches, sometimes in my own heart, I don't have a big enough view of God. I don't revere God as I ought to. We need to be reminded, brothers and sisters, of who God is. We may need to be, we, we not may, we do need to be reminded of what Isaiah experienced in Isaiah chapter 6. You remember when God calls him in his service to that prophetic ministry, but part of God's calling was Isaiah coming into the presence of the thrice holy God. You remember the train, his train filled the temple, the seraphims are up there. And Isaiah see it says he sees the Lord, he saw the Lord, Isaiah chapter 6, he saw the Lord high and lifted up. And he heard the angel singing or shouting, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The earth is full of his glory. You remember Isaiah's response when he came under contact with the holiness of God? He basically said, shut my mouth. He said, I'm a man of unclean lips. I have a dirty mouth in comparison with the holiness of God. You know what really the word holy means? It means uncommon. It means uncommon. It means other, separate, sacred. He is sacred. We are profane. But what are we called to? We are called to holiness. We are called to godliness. And without without seeing God for who He is, the holy, 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 uncommon, eternal, from everlasting to everlasting, eternally existent, creator of the heavens and the earth, the one who is the blessed and only potentate, the one who is all-powerful, 
the one who is wonderful, the one who is counselor, the one who is the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, the one who is just and right. His works, the Psalms say, His works are truth and verity. They are true and they are faithful and they are righteous. He is the righteous God. When we get a glimpse of Him in that way, then and only then can we expect to grow in godliness. First Peter chapter 1 First Peter chapter 1 verse 13 Peter is writing in his first letter You know I love that Peter when he is writing he is not writing at all in a way of well, just, you know, do the least amount you have to do to not deny the Lord, but so you won't get caught and just try to hang on, try to hang in there. That's not the message in either letter. No, it's right here in First in Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 13, it's an exhortation to holiness, to living out, to boldness for the Lord. And this is what he says. He says, wherefore... Breaking into the context, wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober and hope to the end, for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance. You were different. We are no longer a slave to our former lusts. But as he which hath called you is holy, is uncommon. But as he which hath called you is holy, be ye, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation or in all manner of behavior. We are to live. We are to have a way of life of holiness, of, of of a life that is set apart, that is sanctified. Because verse sixteen, because it is written, he would quote from Leviticus eleven. Because it is writ, written, be ye holy, for I am holy. You know, Paul would tell Timothy in First Timothy chapter four. First Timothy chapter 4. He would tell him, verse, verse 7, he would say, but refuse... He's talking to Timothy about being an example to the flock. He would say, but refuse profane and old wives' fables, and listen, exercise thyself rather to godliness. It's, it's that same idea of an athlete, of straining after something. We're to exercise ourselves rather unto godliness. For bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. We are to be straining after godliness. You know, this godliness is to be a desire that we are to have for our uh, communities, for our leaders. You know, also in 1 Timothy 2, when Paul is praying, Paul is exhorting Timothy to pray for leaders, pray for all the, 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 the uh, kings and leaders. For what purpose? 
is the purpose that we want to have people that we want in office just so we can just lay low and do nothing? No. It is that we may lead a life of, uh, uh, help me somebody, I already lost it. Say, yes, peaceable, quiet, peaceable in all godliness and honesty or all godliness and dignity. That is the, what we are to be desiring for our leaders so that we can live lives of godliness, of honesty, of honor, of dignity. Brother Andrew, you and I are to be leading the example in this, in all of these graces. You know, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, you'll remember just a couple months before I was ordained, I preached, uh, I think, three messages on the qualifications of a minister from 1 Timothy chapter 3. There are 15 qualifications given for a minister. Guess how many have to do with giftedness? One, being apt to teach. Only one uh, quality has to do with giftedness. The rest of them have to do with godly character. Ooh, that is sobering. Can I get an amen, bearded brother? Yeah. <laughs> that is sobering. Now, that's not just for the ministers, that's for everybody. But we are to be leading the charge in that. We are to be leading the example in that. And then, let me close with the chief of all these graces. To godliness, brotherly kindness. To brotherly kindness, charity. I love in our business meetings that we have the Galatians 6 verse 10 list. And if there's any way that we can serve those in the body or, or outside of the body, believers that are in need. Galatians chapter 6 verse 10 says, As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men. But I love this. But especially unto them who are of the household of faith. You know, it, it ta- I won't turn to 1 John right now, but it talks about in 1 John that we can say we love the Lord. We can, we can be the first one to church. We can be reading our Bibles daily, having family devotions, saying amen, singing loud on... Um, on uh, my favorite uh, hymn right now, 624 by the Ben. We can, we can be singing loud and proud, and yet we don't have love for our brother or sister in Christ. We're a liar. That's what God's Word says. We are a liar. Oh, brothers and sisters, all these graces are pretty much obsolete and irrelevant and, and, and uh, phony if we are not cultivating hearts of brotherly kindness and charity. Well, why is that so difficult? Why is that in here? Why, why does Peter mention brotherly kindness and charity among the saints of God? Because the fact of the matter is that we are all a bunch of sinners that are living life together And so we are going to offend at times or be offended. We may rub each other the wrong way. I hope certainly not on purpose, but it's it has. I know it has, and it's going to happen. So how do we respond? 
How do we respond? And it is in this way. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth. But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge that shall vanish away. Verse 13, And now abideth faith, hope, charity. These three, the greatest is charity. But brother Nathan, you don't understand what brother Dalton did to me. I mean, it really, really hurt. It was wrong. I'm not saying we just gloss over conflict. We can't gloss over conflict. But how do we work, work through that? It is through brotherly kindness. It is through charity. Let me just read two more passages if we can, just, just listen. Just listen. I'm going to read a long portion from John chapter 13. All these graces, all these furnishings to this house of faith, I would say they stand or fall on this one. John chapter 13. Listen to God's Word. Listen to Jesus. Now before the feast of the Passover... When Jesus knew that His hour was come, that He should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved His own, which were in the world, He loved them unto the end. And supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray Him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into His hands, and that He was come from God and went to God, he riseth from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poureth water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Then cometh he to Simon Peter. And Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Tell you what, Peter's 90, 90 or nothing, right? Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus saith to him, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit. And ye are clean, but not all. For he knew, he's talking about Judas Iscariot, for he knew who should betray him. Therefore said he, 
you're not all clean. Let's pause there. Jesus washed Judas' feet even after he knew he was going to betray him. Verse 12. So after he had washed their feet and had taken his garments and was set down again, he said unto them, Know ye what I have done for you? Ye call me Master and Lord, and ye say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Let us follow the example of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In giving all diligence to add to this faith, seeing Christ as excellent, to add to that virtue, godly courage, to virtue, knowledge. This is all, again, this is the engine that drives these other graces of knowing Christ daily, of temperance, of self-control, of saying no to ourself, our, our sinful passions, to temperance, patience, endurance that comes through trial, to patience, godliness that sees God as the thrice holy God as uncommon and then cultivates a heart that desires to be sanctified, to live for Him. And then to godliness, brotherly kindness, brotherly kindness, charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord and Je- Lord. Jesus Christ. That's what Peter wants. He wants to see growth. He wants to see you abounding. He didn't want to see you barren or unfruitful. And so let me close. You may be here and you may be thinking, man, I failed on pretty much all of those lists of graces, all of those furnishings in this house of faith. I I did wear the rainbow sticker. I didn't want to lose my job. I didn't I've got to put food on the table. I I did laugh at, at that joke. I I did watch that movie. I knew my parents wouldn't like it, but man, my friends were wanting me to and they're gonna make fun of me and I did it. I'm I'm done. He the Lord's done with me. I can't live like this. Well, let me close. Again, just listen to the Lord. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. You remember Peter? Peter told Jesus, if the whole world forsakes you, I will not. I will never forsake you, Lord. And I guarantee Peter meant it. Peter meant it. Peter had said he loved the Lord so deeply. I won't forsake you, Lord. But that very night, when push came to shove, I don't even know the man cursing and swearing. So he's done, right? Jesus said, you do that to me? You kidding me? All of y'all turn y'all's back on me, I'm turning my back on y'all. Is that what happened? No. No. 
Jesus prayed for Peter. Believer in Jesus Christ, Jesus prays for you. And so I'm not going to say if you have messed up or if we have messed up, but because you have messed up and failed, repent, repent, don't stay there, repent, and run right back into the same Savior's arms who forgives you and will let you continue to serve Him. Praise His name. Give all diligence. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord God, we are not worthy to come to You as Brother Ryan prayed. Only through the blood of Your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, this is a house full, and and the one that's up here on this pulpit is is right in there. This is a house full of people who have probably uh, been... Have, have been failures, who have not had courage, who have been cowards, and who have given in to our sinful passions at times, and who have not showed brotherly kindness or charity, who have not had self-control. But Lord, we come to You as sinners, as shameless beggars, pleading the grace of Your Son, Jesus Christ, who would wash the feet of a betrayer, who would walk that walk of shame, bearing His own cross, but really the walk of glory for us, who would willingly lay down His own life for sinners, who would wear our black dress and give us robes of righteousness. Lord, praise Your name for this. And so because of that, May we furnish this gift. May we be growing. May we be giving all diligence to be about Your business, Lord. I pray this for our church. I pray this for everyone under the sound of my voice. I pray this for everyone who may be here and who have never made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, turn our hearts to You. In Jesus' name, Amen.